welcome to the Manager Track, the leadership podcast where we help ambitious managers across the ranks become confident and competent leaders people love to work for. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw. Welcome back to another episode of the Manager Track podcast. This week, I am thrilled to have my guest, Alita Maxwell, on. Alita is a leadership coach and management consultant and the founder of Uplifting Leadership. She's also the author of the best selling book, Uplifting Leaders How to Have Difficult Conversations That Motivate and Inspire. Alita has 25 years of experience in the hospitality industry and over eight years of experience as a chief human resource officer. Alita, I'm thrilled to have you on today. Thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on today. Alita, tell us a little bit more about why you decided to write the book on how to navigate difficult conversations. Yeah, so, so very many times in my role as a chief human resource officer, I had people coming to me and in my office asking how best to prepare for a difficult conversation that they had coming up or how to help clean up after they've already had the difficult conversation and did not go the way they wanted it to go. So that was already a topic that was kind of leading my life. And then last year, I really got hit in the head by the fact that we truly need to develop out this skill set that a lot of our emerging leaders are not being given the opportunity to practice these skills in their everyday actions. So my 13-year-old son had an issue with the science project or paper he had done. And so we spoke about how he wanted to present his feelings to the science teacher. So we pumped him up. He went off to school. He came back that afternoon and I asked, how did the conversation go? And he told me that his science teacher had asked him to email his concerns to him. And it was a really great lesson for me that at 13, my child was not able to start practicing some of these skill sets that I was given the opportunity to at his age. And so I really felt that if this was a subject that so many people were grappling with, maybe I might be able to add some value to that space by sharing my thoughts on this subject. Since difficult conversations, I find, are a lot easier to have than I see other people um, have. Yeah, that's such a such a great story. And it's so true that we really don't learn that in school. And I can also imagine that working remote now for many people makes it even harder to have those conversations. Is that what you notice as well? Yes. So many of my clients are saying that they really are struggling having some of these difficult or challenging conversations because they don't feel like there's a lot of connection points anymore. So previously, you know, you'd walk to the kitchen to get a glass of water or some coffee and you'd stop along the way to check in with people or ask how their weekend was. And while I don't really believe that those were great connection points, it at least gave the air some familiarity and you had something foundation laying to reference upon when you had these moments of difficult conversations. Now we don't have those. Now we're having meetings via Zoom and we're definitely connecting, but not on that deeper personal level. And so I find that when those moments come where you have to address something with an employee, you're more at a loss as to where do I start because I haven't really talked to them in a bit or I haven't had that moment of connection. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed when I worked remote for a while is that it was harder to read someone's body language too to know, is this the right moment to bring it up? 
or is this a good moment to bring it up based on the mood of the person that I want to share this with? Are they already feeling really emotional or they're stressed out? And so maybe I should not say it right now or, or those things that we usually read between the lines, it's body language and the nonverbal that that's a lot harder now to do. And so sometimes I, I totally get how that feels more awkward and uncomfortable in terms of figuring out when to say it and then how to say it and how do we fit into a meeting and how to even ask for a meeting without a clear agenda up front and all of that. Yeah. I mean, before, I don't know about you, but I'd walk into somebody's office and say hi and get a kind of a gauge on their mood. And mm-hmm. if I felt like it was a good mood, then I might launch into a difficult conversation. And yeah, now we don't have that. Now you schedule a meeting and you show up and you hope and pray that they're in a good mood and receptive to the information you want to share with them or the conversation you want to have, but you don't get to pivot as easily anymore based off of somebody's energy or mood like we used to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's dive deeper into why difficult conversations are such a challenge. So when you work with clients or when you, even in your experience as a human resource officer, what were some of the struggles that people had and what was really difficult for people uh, to hold those difficult conversations? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think most kind of skip over the intention setting or goal setting for a conversation. And so I'm a big advocate for getting clear as to what your intention is going to be throughout any conversation. I have the same intention, regardless of the conversation I'm having. My intention is always to make sure the person I'm speaking with feels seen, heard, and appreciated. And so all of my energy is put towards that intention. My goals for each conversation might change, but that's always going to be my intention. And then when I enter into a conversation, I try to analyze three things. Simon Sinek came up with a great shorthand for how to have difficult conversations called FBI. So you state your feelings, you state the behavior you want to address, and you state the impact that that behavior has had. So first we have to get clear on what are we feeling? And again, a lot of leaders tend to skip over that. They go with what they're assuming. They don't check in with what am I feeling about this? So you have to be a little bit vulnerable and state what you're feeling. And then what is the behavior I want to address? What is the impact of that behavior either on me or on the team at large? And then the last step is getting curious as to the why. And so I've seen so many people jump into a conversation without asking themselves, what's my intention? What's my goal? What am I feeling? They kind of jump in with a lot of assumptions and they don't make a lot of room for that curiosity. And I feel that without that curiosity, you're not going to get to the root cause. So Mm -hmm. you're either not going to address the issue or you might feel like you address the issue, but then you end up coming back over and over again to that conversation. I'm so with you on this. And I think this one visual that I often keep in mind um, when coaching people on this topic, or even when I myself notice or realize I have to get into a difficult conversation, or I find myself in a difficult conversation, is that as long as the other person doesn't feel that they are understood, they're, it's like this monkey who just closes his ears, they're not able to listen, right? So I click, you're not understanding me or I'm not listening. The whole sort of that foundation that we need to build in the beginning is all about understanding and making sure the other person feels listened to. But when we're so emotionally charged or something's really triggering us or important to us, it's so easy to, to skip over that phase and launch right into how we are seeing things or what we need and how it felt to us and all that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I feel, again, that's where a lot of those assumptions come into play. So we, I think, tend to create a lot of false narratives in our head where the entire world revolves around us, everybody's feelings and what they're doing is because of us. And so we don't give a lot of space to truly understanding what's at play. And when we do that, I feel like we get a lot further in our conversations. But you're right. If, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're already assuming a ton about me, they're not leaving space for me to let them know what's going on. So they're not even leaving space to listen to me. And why am I going to listen to you if you're not going to listen to me? And so then you're at a stalemate in a conversation that could have gone so much more smoothly had you come in with the intention of listening. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Uh, what other mistakes do you see or have you seen people make when it comes to difficult conversations? Well, I find that a lot of people enter into these conversations knowing exactly what they want to say mm-hmm. <laughs> and stopping. So again, the not getting curious part is what I find to be the biggest failure of conversations. Just mm-hmm. no, no thought process of wanting to understand the other person's perspective. So many people that I deal with are very black and white. Their perspective is right. There's no room for anybody else's perspective. And so they don't even entertain that option. And so if we enter into a conversation truly with the curiosity of understanding that other person's mindset, that other person's perspective, how they're viewing events, then we're not allowing ourselves to learn. And so if leaders are coming into a conversation wanting to learn, then I see conversations go really well, even if they didn't set goals or attentions. But if they're coming in with a list of things that they want to say, that's not a conversation. You're speaking at somebody and we should be clear that that's what you're intending to do then. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking at someone. Yeah. It's actually then not creating that conversation that would be fruitful. Um, Yeah. Conversation should be two parts. But if you're going in with a list of things you want to say and you're not even giving space for the other person to say anything, that's not a conversation to me. Yeah. And I think though, it's for so many, it's the intuitive thing to do is like, I have something I want to share and therefore I want to prepare what I want to say. And so I'm going to make my notes and here is why this is bothering me or here's why this is difficult and here's the impact and here's what I want instead. But as you said, that's skipping all the steps that would actually set us up for success. Yeah, you're not getting curious as to the why. And so again, you're not going to get to the root cause. You're maybe going to tell the person what you want to tell them. You're going to tell them the behavior you want to see going forward. And then you're done and you're walking away. Well, Mm -hmm. since we didn't get to the root cause, we didn't understand why this was happening. Therefore, we weren't able to fix or find a solution to why this is happening. Most likely, it's going to just be on repeat, that cycle, until one of two things happen. Either that person leaves that person magically gets their, you know, finds a solution on their own and fixes the problem or you fire them. So unfortunately, if we're not curious and we don't spend the time and do the due diligence to figure out why this is happening, then we're not going to solve anything. Yeah. And actually just recently had a coaching conversation with someone who was talking about 
the follow-on conversation to the performance review. So they received the performance review and then weren't completely satisfied with the feedback provided. And so asked their manager for a second conversation about it. And they were looking at the different ratings together and they were discussing the reasons for the ratings and so forth. And in the coaching conversations I had with this person, I, I inquired a little bit more about why this is important to them. And what came out is that this person didn't feel that they were being recognized and acknowledged for all the hard work and the difficult situations that they managed throughout the year. And so this was like that one opportunity where they could have finally received that acknowledgement and recognition. And that didn't happen. The tone that the performance review or the, the taste that it left was sort of mediocre, met the standards and not like my client thought that they performed this as exceeding and going above and beyond. And once we figured out what really was driving them for that conversation and to intrigue further and, and have to follow up conversation and so forth, it was then so easy to shift around and say, okay, this is the big why. This is why this matters to me. And now equally, let's figure out why it matters to them. But yeah. now we're not talking about all the tactical sort of the, the result or the symptom, but we're actually talking about the root cause. That completely changed their perspective, but also the dynamic of that, the follow-on conversation. Well, I am a huge... I, I hate performance reviews. I hate traditional performance reviews. And coming from HR, I get that that's not a typical statement, <laughs> but I feel like they really, any company that has performance reviews really does a disservice to everybody on the team because so many leaders find that that is the only time they can give feedback or that's the only time they have to. So they build in half a year's worth of feedback to one conversation and they typically don't acknowledge any of the good work because they're going to take this opportunity to acknowledge the things that they want to change instead of throughout the year, having those conversations in the moment and saying, hey, that project you just did, let's talk about how we can maybe do that better. Or I'm really excited about the, the job that you've done recently. I really want to acknowledge all the hard work that you've done. Instead, we just save it up. And then we have an entire, I call them kitchen sink conversations where we throw everything in there that's been on our mind for the last six months. Yeah. I have found that even with the best um, performance review, that if you kitchen sink it, I'm going to walk away not feeling good at all because there's a lack of trust now. You've been sitting on a feeling about me for six months or a year. How am I supposed to trust you going forward if you're not willing to mm. stay in the moment when you're not happy with my performance or when you want something to change? So yeah. I, I really don't like traditional performance reviews because I think it, it allows people to think that they don't need to give that feedback in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. If they replace the day to day or the ongoing feedback and praise, yeah, that, that leads to bad, <laughs> bad performance reviews for sure. What is one specific actionable tip that you could give the audience in terms of the having difficult conversation? If there's one thing that you want them to take away from this episode, what would that be? Say what you know, not your assumptions. So again, I know facts, if somebody's coming in late, I can look up and see when they clocked in. I know how I feel. That's not something I need anybody else's help with. I know how I feel. But I don't know your why. I don't know how you're feeling. I don't know your intentions. 
And so when we state what we know and we get curious about everything else, I find conversations go much more smoothly. If we state our assumptions, that's when we're going to get into a back and forth over things that aren't really pertinent to the conversation or have nothing to do with our end goal of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use this model where we, in my coaching, where we differentiate the circumstance, the fact from the thoughts. And it's so often, including myself, right? We completely mush the two together as if they were one thing. Yeah. Because uh, the facts and the circumstance would only be the thing that we would all universally agree on. Uh, it can be observed with a camera or captured with video, and there was no argument about it. But everything else is a thought, an assumption, interpretation, and separating the two sometimes can completely change the perspective. So I love how you say, you start off with just sharing your, the, the facts that happen, and then you get curious about everything else without bringing your own thoughts and interpretations and stating it as if this was the truth, the universal truth. Yeah, and I know a lot of people out there are probably going to be like, well, in certain circumstances, I do know. Okay, mm-hmm. then state, could it be, or my feeling is it might have to do with, state that as a question, because I guarantee you do not know what the other person is feeling. You only know what you're feeling. And so we need to give that space to learn about the other person's experience to truly understand what's at play. This is my assumption, but I could be stand to be corrected if that's not at play, instead of just, this is what it is. Now we're fighting over something that has nothing to do with the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. So separating the facts from the interpretations stating them separately where it's clear this is the fact versus this one here's my interpretation let's check in is this true where I might be wrong come with that curiosity mindset that's the the biggest shift that yes any one of us can apply right away yeah completely in any conversation and so yeah I always go back to Simon Sinek FBI I feel like that's a really great easy thing to keep in my mind when I'm having any difficult conversation or challenging conversation So the feeling that you have, that you know, the behavior you would like to address and the impact of that behavior. So it could be as simple as I'm feeling a little frustrated that you continuously come in late to work. When you come in late to work, that really impacts the team in a negative way. So I'd like to talk about some solutions that we can come up to together so that we can avoid this going forward. Or I'd like to learn why this continues to happen so we can come up with a solution to avoid this. Cool. And I love that you said, you know, I'm feeling this way because that then goes into like, I'm not acting it out. I'm actually just saying I'm feeling frustrated. I don't have to be frustrated (laughs) for someone else to recognize my frustration. I can just be emotionally mature and then talk about being frustrated in like a calm, composed uh, manner. Yeah. Yes. That's always, I think, needed is to make sure your heart rate is an acceptable (laughs) rate, that your ego has not been triggered before you have these conversations, Mm -hmm. because if so, you are not going to be able to have this in a way that you're going to be proud of after the fact. And so Mm -hmm. calming our own ego is definitely a point that I make in the book, because I know if I'm triggered, I am not going to be as open to understanding or hearing the other person. Yeah. When people say, oh, you got to get feedback right away, I usually say, yes, but 
not when emotions run high. Like if someone is really upset or really sad or really frustrated, that may not be the right moment to then jump in and add on additional feedback. Or if our emotions run really high, we might not be able to deliver the feedback in a way that's effective and then can be heard by the other person. Completely agree with that. Yeah. Cool. So other than for people to check out your book, which we will link to in the show notes, is there any other place that you would send them to if they want to learn more on how to better navigate those difficult conversations? Yeah. So my website, upliftingleadership.com also has a free workbook that anybody can download so that they can go through the workbook as they're going through the book. I feel like it's a really good way to kind of develop out some of your soft skills Mm -hmm. by doing those things in tandem. So that's definitely on my website for anybody to download for free. Cool. And that would actually also be a great topic or book, especially with the workbook to bring to a book club, be this within an organization or a private book club that you have, because it's such an important topic that that expands the benefits of knowing how to do that as well will expand into parenting and relationships with friends, family, partners, and their work life as well. Yeah, especially right now where I understand that so many different budgets are strained because of all that's happening in the economy. I get that not a lot of companies can set aside a ton of resources for development. So this is definitely one, when I wrote the workbook, I was thinking exactly that, that people can do this at work for a book club to develop out, especially their managers or their senior leaders skill set. Because again, I just don't feel like most are given the ability to develop out this skill. And it's really a worthwhile one to spend some time and investment on. It does impact every bit of our lives. And I think that best leaders are the ones that could really connect and communicate well with the people that they're serving. Yeah, absolutely. So our final question, Alita, would be, what is one question that I should have asked and what would be your answer to that? Ooh, this is the one that stumped me too. So maybe what I'm looking forward to in 2021, I'm really hoping that this year has allowed us to take stock of where we're at, take stock of where we want to go and start thinking about investing in our own development. I feel like so many people prior to this year really felt like development was something that their corporation or their company needed to worry about. And I'm seeing more and more as we've been kind of in lockdown mode that we're all trying to develop out different skills, whether that's baking bread or getting into the kitchen, (laughs) doing some type of cooking or doing master classes. So my hope is that we all start to take stock of where we're at And really focus on developing out some of these skill sets that can really aid us in, again, both our career and our personal life. Yeah, so true. I'm excited about this too. And I think that especially how... Uh, work changes where we are no longer, uh, you know, in the same company for 20 plus years, but where we change organizations on a more frequent basis a lot of this, this investment in your own leadership development, your communication skills and all that is on us because our career only grows to the extent that we grow. And so ultimately it's about my career and I would never want to let that control be handed over to the organization. Um, Yeah, we've got to be in the driver's seat for this. We have to make sure that we're owning our development and taking responsibility for it. And to your point, not handing it over to somebody else and hoping they remember about it. Yeah, 
exactly. Chances, chances are there that that would not be met. Yes, no, doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Alita, so much for being on. It was such a pleasure to talk to you about this really, really important topic. And I encourage everyone listening to check out her book, which we will link to down below and to dive further into the topic of how to better navigate and lead those difficult conversations because the benefits are massive and invaluable. Thank you so much for having me on today. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Alita. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to RamonaShaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.